We are back in Romans. Are you ready? Get your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1. We're going to meet you there at verse 18 in just a moment or two. I'm excited to be back into this book of Romans and do some work there together as a church. It's been a good thing to discipline ourselves to walk through this verse by verse. I hope you get a clear understanding. I, I'm, I'm going to share something. I, I love you guys. You just don't want to disappoint your pastor. I, I'm a little nervous that I print out uh, outlines and I put them in the back. And, and, and some of you all probably are doing it. Te- uh, you know, if you're, if you're technological people, that's great if you're using the, the app or something like that. But I'm disappointed when I print them and there's still a bunch there at the end of two services. I'm like, is, it, is nobody taking notes and following along? I hope you are. I hope you are. Make your pastor feel better. Just grab one, put in your Bible. Even if you don't use it, I'll feel better. That won't be there when I get done at the end of the service. But there are notes uh, on that table there. There's pens there. I encourage you to follow along, especially in something as deep and as heavy as the book of Romans. There's so many little details that I'd hope that you could just uh, write down and keep in your memories. It's going to be helpful for you. I'd, I'd love it if I'd see people at Oak with little binders, little black binders with uh, three ring binders, and you take your notes home, and you just you, you get a collection. I mean, you'd have the whole book of Romans there uh, for you to look back on at some point. So I'd encourage you to do that if you would. Let's pray together as we get into this Romans chapter 1 and we'll read it and make some comments on it. Let's pray together. I'd ask you to pray this to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give God that prayer. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, we pray that you would be glorified, that everyone hearing this would be edified and that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get caught back up here um, to let you know we did kind of the introduction. There were several introductory verses kind of setting the tone for the whole book of Romans. And now we're starting today a chunk. And this chunk actually goes from 118 all the way to 38. And he is going to make some of the uh, large thesis comments or ar- his big arguments he's going to propose and then back them up with logical arguments for them. And so I'm not, I just want to give you the whole thing, what he's going to do here. Today in Romans 1, 18 through 23, Paul gives us a general indictment of mankind. Mankind. I say that because you always need to be paying attention. Paul was a Jew, and he was a leader in the Jewish faith, right? And then he came to Christ, and so now he follows Jesus. But he has a, a unique audience among the Jews. But don't forget that when he goes to Rome, there's Jews there, but he's also got a church that is full of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. One church, right? Newly saved people into the Christian faith, and then Jewish people that had the Jewish background. Remember how messy that gets? Because they have different, you know, the Jews have all all sorts of rules to follow and all sorts of dietary things and and the the gentiles are coming in there saying what do you mean we can't eat barbecue what you know and they're they're kind of not happy about this and the jews are forcing them to abide by the old jewish law and paul has to come in and give a logical so i'm saying this because watch very carefully how paul flows he's going to give a general indictment of mankind first that includes the Jews and the Gentiles and everybody else. I don't know if there's anybody else, but everybody. And then you'll notice, not this week, but next week, then he gives a list of sinfulness, but, but he's, he's kind of talking about heathen sinfulness. 
uh, people without Christ at all. He's not picking on the Jews or the Gentiles, although the descriptions he gives are more like the Gentile background before they came to Christ. So he's going to give a, 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 an understanding of what heathen sinfulness looks like. And then he's going to talk a little bit about moralistic emptiness. Uh, boy, our day today is filled with moralistic people. Moralistic therapeutic deity is, is what our society lives by. Just do good. Just do good and everything's all right, right? Uh, there's no such thing as God. He made, he, maybe he created, but he left us to our own devices. So just be good, moral people. You probably know a lot of those kind of people. They're good people. But he's going to talk about how empty that is on its own. And then he, he wraps up that section, speaking specifically to, to his Jewish audience. So he always mixes in uh, a Gentile, Jews, mankind. So just so you know, that's where we're going today, a general indictment. And our big idea today is no excuses. Everybody say it with me. No excuses. We're full of excuses, aren't we? We're full of excuses. Just like our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma and grandpa, Adam and Eve. You know, remember when God came to Eve, Eve said, it was that snake. That snake tricked me. He goes to Adam, it's that woman. You gave her to me. He blames Eve and God. And we've been passing the buck ever since. And Paul comes today and he's going to let mankind, which is you and me, look at somebody next to you and say, you're mankind. Yeah, make sure they know it, okay? We're mankind. No excuses. So let's get ready to read that. And I'm going to share with you right before I read the passage that today should give you a worldview. This was really hot back in the 90s. We talked about worldview a lot. I don't know if you've even heard that term lately, but what is your view of how the world is and how it operates? What's your worldview? Today you're going to hear a statement where Paul teaches us gospel urgency. If you don't have a worldview, let me give you one today. It's Paul's, but he, I'll share it. There's an urgency to share the gospel because mankind is without excuse. Because of that, we ought to be on the mark sharing the gospel. Every person needs God's salvation from the eternal consequences of sin. That's what we're going to get in this passage today. So let's, let's take a look at that. Let me read it with you. Go ahead and turn there. Romans 1, 18 to 23. Get a gadget. Get there. If not, there are Bibles underneath some of the seats that have baskets. Open up and let's read this together. 1, 18 to 23. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Say that with me. Without excuse. Now that you know what we're going to say together, let's say it together. Ready? Without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and stinky snakes. 
I went off script there a little bit. Reptiles. Not a fan, by the way. How many of you love snakes? God bless you. I, I think it's wonderful. You can appreciate creation. I'm on the old school line that we are made enemies of snakes. The Bible says to the snake, the man will crush your head. And I'm telling you, I'm not even mean like that because if I see a snake, I'm not going to give him my foot. I'm going to run. So I'm going to spare the snakes, but I'm not happy about them. Uh, have you seen alligators? We go golfing in Hilton Head. There's alligators on all the courses. Those things are prehistoric dinosaurs. Have you seen them with the big scales and everything? They're scary looking creatures. I don't understand people that love reptiles. But for some reason, man decided it'd be a good idea if we worshipped images of other men, birds, animals, and stinky snakes. Unbelievable. Let's talk about that today. I want to uh, take some time and walk right through, where's my, oh man, I want to walk right through verse by verse and make some comments on it. Uh, start with Romans 1.18, the wrath of God. Nobody likes to start there, and you might even cringe when we get there and think, oh, let's not talk about the wrath of God. It just sounds so Old Testament. And, and you've probably heard people say that before. I've heard a lot of people say, well, we don't talk about the Old Testament because that's when God was angry. He was an angry God. And then the New Testament came along. We got Jesus and he's a kind Jesus. He's a kind God. And so I've heard preachers and Christians kind of compare the Bible like the Old Testament's the bad one, but we got the new one, kinder, gentler. And I, I ask all the time, have you read the New Testament? If you actually read the New Testament, you see God in flesh who at times shows his wrath on sin. He overthrew the tables in the temple. And then don't forget that whole little book toward the end of the Bible called Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember that nice New Testament guy? He's coming back on a horse and he's going to, I'm going to stop there, but he's going to show the wrath of God. So we shouldn't be afraid to talk about the wrath of God. I want you to know as a people today, the problem with talking about the wrath of God is we've had all these years since the Bible has come out, since Paul has talked about God's wrath, to have a new definition of wrath. And our new definition in our minds every time we hear that word is based on human wrath, which is always out of control, anger, and emotion, right? When we hear that word, that's what we hear. Out of control, anger, it's emotion. Can I tell you that the wrath of God has nothing to do with emotion? It does show his anger at sin, but it's not an emotional response to anything. God's wrath is who God is. Let me explain that, and I don't have a coin on me, but if you took a coin out and you, you, you took one side and you showed that side of the coin, it would be God's righteousness. Remember I always told you the number one thing about God is his holiness. Everybody say holiness. If you take the head side of a coin, that's God's righteousness. Well, flip that over and, and the tail side is wrath. God is righteous and holy. It's not anything that he does, it's who he is. You can only understand righteousness and holiness by understanding who God is. It's who he is. His wrath is not an emotional outburst. It's not some temper tantrum. It's who he is. And it's because of the other side of the coin. You cannot have a God who is righteous and holy, who is also not just. His wrath 
is the justice part of sin. It's the justice part of our unrighteousness. So we need to kind of maybe erase our thinking when it comes to that word wrath. And definitely don't despise the Old Testament, please. The Old Testament is beautiful. The Old Testament is a beautiful thing pointing toward Jesus coming. Everything in the Bible points to the cross. The Old Testament points toward the cross. And the New Testament talks all about the cross. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament is not something that is worthless. It's important. It's important. It's how we get a full picture of who God is. So look at that. Look how long we're going to be here today. I got three words in. Wrath of God. It's being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness. Interesting choice of words there. Godlessness and wickedness. You might think, well, it just kind of repeated the same thing. And it's not. Godlessness is man's response to God's authority. It's man sticking his nose up in the air at God and saying, nuts to you. I'm not going to listen to you, obey you, or follow you. I will not honor you. I will disobey you and dishonor you. That's godlessness. And then unrighteousness or wickedness is an action against God and people and creation. You should be writing in a fury right now. This is good stuff, and I'm not even charging double today. Unrighteousness and wickedness is man's actions that go contrary to God, it goes against people, and it goes against his creation. So understand those two different things. He brings it up. He uses these words a lot, so we need to get a baseline. Godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. I love that. Uh, suppress is holding back, holding against. And, and, and the Bible says that people, mankind, is going to experience the wrath of God. Heaven's going to reveal it godlessness, wickedness, and they suppress the truth by their wickedness. Their actions actually show that they're suppressing what they know to be true. They're suppressing. They're holding it back. Anybody ever been in a fight in eighth grade? Man, weren't you hoping somebody's going to hold you back? I mean, I hated it when I had to actually go to actual fight. I wanted somebody to grab me, and I'm like, oh, well, you're lucky I didn't. You're lucky they grabbed me, man. You know, That's the idea I get when I think about uh, somebody going to fight Watch the NBA. They do it every night. Uh, somebody grabs them, you know, and they're like, ah, you're lucky they're holding me back. And that's the idea I get here with people. They know about God, but they're holding that back. They don't want that truth to get unleashed. They're holding it back. They're suppressing that truth by their wickedness. And then let's go to verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, not everything about God. Only what God has revealed, what's knowable about God is plain to them. Plain means obvious. Obvious. We're going to stop and talk about general revelation there. Uh, there's two types of revelation. General revelation, which is what you can see through created order and beauty. The things that you can know just from looking at a sunset, just from looking at God's creation. And then there's special revelation, which is God's word. He didn't just leave us with creation. He filled in the details with special revelation. But he's talking about general revelation. He says, what may be known about God... What's knowable about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. You need to understand, mankind is without excuse because God gave mankind what they needed to know just through creation that they would know that there is a God. 
Now, I got to stop there and let you know, nobody can be saved through general revelation. Nobody's going to be saved by looking at a sunset. Details need to be filled in about who Jesus is and the cross and his redemptive power and the acceptance of his forgiveness of sin for somebody to be saved. But general revelation, creation, is enough to convict people or condemn people. We always hear about, what about those people who never hear? I'm, that's always the excuse, right? You know, how could God, that Old Testament wrath God, how could he send people to hell who never heard? This passage, Paul makes it very clear. Everybody that's been born at least can experience what they see or hear or feel in front of them. And that's enough to let them know there is a God, period. And let me tell you this, every man is accountable from what they have. I'm not going to tell you today what is God going to do with that person in Papua New Guinea who never heard. I'm not going to tell you that, but I am going to tell you we have a just God. Let him take care of it. And the Bible says he does all things well. So I'm not going to give you a general statement that's not in the Bible. I'm just going to tell you what we know is that all mankind has no excuse. They should at least know God. God is. That convicts them. They can't know who Jesus is through creation. That's why it's important that we go tell them. How will they know unless they hear, the Bible says? How will they hear unless somebody tells them? So I think, again, worldview 101, gospel urgency. Say it with me. Gospel urgency is what Paul is explaining to us. Then he goes a little further into that in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen. See, Paul's making it very obvious to us, plain, I would say. He used that word. Make it obvious and visible that people are without excuse because of what God did in creation is enough to let them know there is a God being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, now again, just with general revelation and creation, they don't know all things about God. They definitely don't know anything about Jesus, but they at least know God is. Everybody say God is. God is. They are without excuse. There's a, some good passages I'll get to at the end that you can see that God judges people according to what they know. And we'll, we'll get there. So if you're still worried about that, number one, I would stop worrying about it because you're here today and I've told you about Jesus and Jesus died on the cross for everyone so that all might come to repentance and salvation. You're responsible for that, what you've heard. You're without excuse two times over. You can worry about that person in Papua New Guinea all you want, but I would make sure... You're responsible for what you've heard and what you know. That's what you'll be responsible for. And so then he goes on, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I love that. Their thinking became a worthless pursuit of nothingness, (laughs) futile. Have you ever met really intelligent people that were really dumb as a stump. 
Have you ever met people like that? I've seen book smart people, man, I'm telling you. If you haven't, go to college and meet a professor someday. Uh, There's some really smart, 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 smart people out there. Uh, Some of them are politicians, right? But they've never bought a gallon of milk in their life. And they never pumped a gallon of gas in their life. All these bigwig politicians, they're smart, but their thinking's futile. (laughs) They They don't understand anything. Uh, I'm going to go there and you might not like me today because these next verses, I can't get away from the fact it talks about these people that they think they're so smart. Uh, In verse 22, although they claim to be wise, they became fools. Go back to verse 21. How is this all happening? Because their foolish hearts were darkened. Don't forget, in the ancient world, the heart was the central decision-making thing, not the brain. They talked about the heart as the who you are. The heart is the I person. And so whenever it talks about the heart, it talks about the decision-making process of a person. And it says their foolish hearts were darkened. That's why he's talking about wisdom and foolishness. And, and he's talking about hearts, not minds. But in the ancient world, it was their thinking process. They think they're so smart but they're fools. Now, that doesn't mean they're ignorant. Let's get this right. Can we understand what fools mean? Foolishness is having knowledge, but not applying wisdom. Foolishness is knowing something and doing something dumb, right? That's what foolishness is. It doesn't mean they're ignorant people. It means they're not too sharp, right? Uh, Come on now, let's not pick on people like that. I'm not saying they're dumb. Dumb is a whole different thing. Those are the people down south that people look at and say, bless your heart. You ever been down south? You, you, if you say something dumb down south, somebody's going to say, oh, bless your heart. Right? They got this whole biblical thing. They understand the heart is the problem. It's darkened. They got no light. But we're all dumb sometimes. You ever had the electricity go out in your house? How many times do you go flick the switch when the electricity's out? Come on now, that's dumb. It, it, it's not on, but we do it. I know a pastor who actually had a back issue. And the back issue that he went to talk to his doctor about, the doctor said, have you had an injury? Did you crash a car or something? And the the proposing problem was, no, but I lift ladders and move chairs all the time. That is what caused my back problem. Ladders and chairs. Guess what I did Friday? Friday, I came in here by myself, and I felt pretty good, and so I moved a ladder to each one of these pillars to put that stupid box on top that don't even fit right. And then when I got done, I moved all the chairs that were here in the back walls because of Easter, and I put them back in a closet. About an hour later, I went home, and I'm like, my back hurts, Julie. She goes, what did you do? Nothing. Nothing. What did you do? I just, I just had to go up and down a ladder and move it all over stage, and then there were some chairs. Oh, you should have, she should have looked at me and said, bless your heart. Because that's dumb, right? That is dumb. That was the presenting problem that I actually told the doctor. I hurt my back moving ladders and chairs. And what did I do Friday? I moved ladders and chairs. That's just dumb. But we're not talking about dumb. We're talking about wise and foolish. Foolish is, maybe they got some brain smarts, but they don't apply it correctly to life. The Bible says they knew God, but they neither glorified him or gave honor to him. They pushed him, suppressed him back. So as smart as they are, they're not wise. They became fools. 
And then verse 23, they exchanged. Keep that word. If you're taking uh, notes or highlighting or underlining, underline the word exchange because Paul uses this throughout his whole arguments, the word exchanged. He says, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Now, you got to understand the Paul is just out of control here. As he's writing, he's like, these people didn't just not worship God. They exchanged the great and mighty powerful God, not with another person, not with another false God. They exchanged it for images. Not even the real thing, just images of man, birds, animals, and reptiles. I mean, I think when Paul's writing this, he's out of his mind. He's thinking, I can't believe this. They can see there is a God from creation, but they suppress that. Instead, they choose to worship a carving of an image of creation. That's what man's responsible for. That's why man is without excuse. When God gives us all these incredible things that we can see, it should point to God is. Everybody say it. God is. I'm not going to pick on evolutionists. Some of you might believe in a theistic evolution system, and and I, I don't agree with that. I think if you think that God did not create, and you don't believe in the Bible in Genesis, then you have a lot of problems in other places. That's the only reason I'm going to say that here. But you're okay. You can be here in our church. We love everybody. Right? Mm-hmm. God bless your heart. But you, we're, we're, we're glad you're here. But you need to know that creation is very important. And evolution, evolution, if you, if you follow what the scientists say, are we getting sick of those terms? Let's just follow what the scientists say. Can you follow what a scientist said? Because you've got to keep changing. You've got to keep changing. You've got to keep changing. If you knew how many times in my life I've said, look, Science has come out proving that coffee is good for you. And then months later, coffee's bad for you. It will kill you dead. (gasps) But then later, it's good for you. It's good for you. No, it's really bad for you. It's good for you, but don't put cream in it. I'm like, stop it. Just leave me alone. It's the juice from heaven. Science always changes. And it's not a different scientist. Sometimes it's the same scientist that changes. I'm here today telling you that evolution is held together by spit, gum, and duct tape. (laughs) I had this left over, so I thought I'd bring it. Don't you love duct tape? And give me a second here. We got time this morning. Uh, It's duct tape, not duct tape. I know somebody came out with a duct tape, but it's duct tape. I went to Menards to get this, and I went straight to the duct department, the metal stuff. And there's no duct tape with the duct. That's just wrong. Anyways, God bless their hearts. It's in the paint section. Duct tape. Leading scientists in the evolution field have changed their mind over and over again about what happened. The theory of origin changes and changes and changes. How could you put your faith into a science that's held together by duct tape? It's so flimsy. God says... He made it plain to us, his creation. Enough that mankind should say God is. When you look at creation, you've got to see order. We're amazing. 
I always tell people, you can see God by looking at a telescope into outer space and also in a microscope to the smallest DNA molecules. No matter if you look far out or close in, God is. And we're amazing. Mankind is amazing. So many things should point to the fact that there is a creator. Order does not come from chaos. If I'm walking in the woods and I'm walking there with my wife and out of nowhere my Harley Davidson watch is laying there on a stump, Julie and I are not going to walk up to that watch and say, that's amazing that nature made this watch. My conclusion, if I find a watch laying in the middle of the forest, is not the forest grew the watch. And I'm definitely not going to start worshiping the watch. That's what foolishness is. That's what God is saying here. God is like, people are crazy. If they come and find order, order creation, and they think it comes out of chaos, and then they worship creation, how foolish is that? This watch did not just happen. This is a boulevard with a Harley Davidson face. It was not grown. It took a creator to make this. It tells time when I put a battery in it. It tells time because it's designed to do that. This morning, all I'm trying to make you understand is Paul is making the the logical argument that mankind is without excuse. They should look and see God is. God is. Order cannot come from chaos. To believe in evolution, you'd have to also believe that a tornado could go through a a junkyard and then what would be left after that is a fully functioning 747 jet. How many of you think that a tornado could fly through a junkyard, pick up pieces, and put together a fully functioning flying jet airplane? That is kind of what the evolutionist theory would, would put forth for us. No, God says, God says, Paul backs it up, God is... Just look and see. And don't exchange the glory of God for his creation. Don't worship things. Worship God. Let's make a few points and we'll be done today. The kingdom of God in America. So all of this that we've just taught today and talked about verse by verse, uh, Richard Niebar said... A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. That is the kingdom of God in America today. Uh, Sad to say, in too many places, they refuse to talk about who God is, his righteousness and his wrath. That's who he is, two sides of a coin. That's who he is. They're afraid to talk about that because we want to just talk about God is love and Jesus is kind. While those things are true and it's a wonderful message of salvation, his love and kindness, but you can't wipe away wrath. By the way, last week we had this cross here. It was God's wrath that was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. It's God's wrath. You cannot escape it, Old Testament or New Testament. His wrath poured out on sin. That's why God sent Jesus. He became sin for us so that God could pour out his wrath on that so that I can go to heaven someday and stand there clean before God because Christ is in my place. It's important for us to hear all that. Mankind is without excuse. Number one, God's wrath is just because we have sinfully rejected his revelation of himself. John 3 
in verse 36. I don't want to throw you off there, but I'm just going to follow my sheet here. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. It's John. This is the New Testament. We're hearing this. Back in Psalm 53, 1 and 3, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who looks, who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone is turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Our first point today out of two points is God's wrath is just because we have sinfully rejected his revelation of himself. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. I want to walk through a couple of points on point number one. A, God reveals himself through his wrath against human sin. Paul starts talking about God's wrath and that's how he reveals himself. It says it's revealed from heaven. We can know there is a God and he is a God of wrath and righteousness. He reveals that against sin. B, God reveals himself through his creation. I already read Psalm 53. Matthew 11 20 through 24. Uh, this is going to be the passage I want to have you think about that guy in Papua New Guinea who never received the Bible, never heard the gospel. What's God going to do with him? Don't forget what he said in Matthew 11, 20 through 24. Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Corzion. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable. Think about those words. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that... It will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Again, what are we doing with that guy who's never heard? Number one, let's get out there and make sure the word gets to every guy, every man, woman, boy, and child. Amen? It should be a gospel urgency we respond with today's message. But if he never hears what's God going to do with him, he's going to do what's right. You can always count on the character of God. If the Bible doesn't tell us in specifics, go to what we know. We know about the character of God. He does things right and well. But according to this, people are more or less responsible for what they have or don't have, what they know or don't know. More bearable seems to show some kind of a context. So don't worry. Don't worry about that guy who's never heard. Worry about your neighbor who lives in America that's heard about Jesus his whole life and he has never repented of his sin. Worry about him. He's going to be fully responsible. Worry about your family. Worry about your neighbors. Worry about your co-workers and have a sense of gospel urgency. C, or underneath B, nature reveals power and ordinance. I shared this with you earlier. Natural revelation is sufficient to condemn, but not to save. That's why gospel urgency is important. C, sinners have inexcusably rejected God and suppressed the truth. That's why, you know, I, I love the phrase, how could God punish an innocent heathen? There are no such things as innocent heathens, okay? There are no such things. 
God says in his word, all mankind is indicted and they've rejected God. Let's go to point two. Or actually, what have you done with your knowledge? You're responsible. You will stand before a God someday. What are your response with what you know about God? So God's wrath is just because we have simply rejected his revelation of himself. Number two, God's wrath is just because we have worshipped the creator or the creature rather than the creator. That goes against the holy God and breaks his heart. A couple of points there and we'll be done. Mankind knew God through general revelation. What could be known about God? They knew him. Mankind did not glorify God nor give him thanks. And this goes against the God of creation, that mankind would reject that and not thank him and glorify him. See, as a result, foolish hearts of sinners were darkened. In Scripture, you always hear about light and dark, light and dark, light and dark. Unless God's light shines into a heart, it's going to be in darkness. D, as a result of a darkened heart, sinners profess to be wise but are fools. Do you see the logical? I just wanted to show you in a bullet point form how Paul is presenting a very logical argument. One thing follows the next. Mankind did not glorify God or give thanks to him. They should have known that God is from creation. Therefore, their foolish hearts are darkened. Therefore, as a result of darkened hearts, they think they're wise but they're fools. This foolishness is exhibited by the worship of creature over creator. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Again, fool, morally deficient, not stupid. Morally deficient is what foolishness is. It all brings us to the conclusion God is just in pouring out his wrath on the human race because we have sinfully rejected his revelation of himself and have worshipped the creature rather than the creator. That's, the, that's Paul's statement. And again, this is a general indictment on all of mankind. The Jewish people, the, the Gentile people, all mankind should know God is. Our responsibility is to take the clear gospel message and tell them there is a God who did create all things, yes. But let me tell you about him. He's the God who saw our sinful problem and sent his son Jesus. Then you can get into the love story. The love story is wonderful. But first they need to know there's a holy God and a just God. A God that is wrath. So that we can tell him that he also is the God of love that gave us Jesus. And today, now that you've heard this and you know this, what have you done with that knowledge? You will be responsible for it. You will be held accountable to it. What have you done with the knowledge that you've been given? We're so blessed. Uh, I, I might come across like I'm bashing America all the time, but we're kind of kind of spoiled, aren't we, in America? I mean, the Bible Belt. Have you been to Grand Rapids? There's like a church on every corner. I think there might be more churches than Starbucks in Grand Rapids. I'm being facetious. We're spoiled. Man, in America, we have had Billy Graham. We've had many people that stood and professed Jesus Christ for salvation. 
We're blessed because we can see creation and know God is. But we also have the rest of the story, His written word. And you can read it in the NIV, the NASV, the RSVP, the King James Version. You can read it in, 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 in whatever version you would like to read it in. We've got His word. We're blessed. All of that should lead you to a response. Two responses today. Simply, number one, do you honor God and give glory to His name? Have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins and come into your life as Savior and Lord? Number two, do you have a sense of gospel urgency? Now that we've heard this, mankind is indicted and is going to be responsible before a holy God someday. We should have a sense of gospel urgency. I'll have the band come up and join me as we wrap things up. I want to sing that song, No Longer a Slave to Fear. I don't say all this to give you fear. Isn't it great as a believer to know you don't have to be afraid of this? Isn't it great? A little bit later on in the passage, uh, Paul himself is going to say, there is there no more condemnation for those. There's no condemnation. Aren't you happy for that? If you receive the gospel, we don't need to be afraid of anything. We have God as our, our Lord. We have Jesus as our Savior. And I love what the song says. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Can you honestly say that today? Can you honestly say, I'm a child of God? If not, I encourage you, ask Him to save you right now. Don't wait. If you're listening to us from some other place right there, just bow in prayer and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin and come into my life as my Savior and Lord. We don't need to be a slave to fear. We don't need to be a slave to sin. We don't need to be a slave at all. Mm. 